Today we're reading from John chapter 12, verse 12 to 19. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning, uh, LLC. You're going to have to bear with me a little bit uh, today as uh, allergy season is upon us. And I feel like I'm, um, uh, my sinuses are all clogged up. I'm like in a fishbowl right now, so I have no idea how loud I'm actually talking. It sounds very loud uh, in my head. But maybe for you, it's allergy season as well. I was looking at my medicine cabinet, and I only found expired uh, meds. And I took it anyway. I don't think it works. Uh, I don't recommend it. Uh, Go get your allergy meds, okay? Uh, If you have hay fever, it's very, very real. (laughs) Palm Sunday. (laughs) Today is Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week, uh, a time to reflect on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, a week just before Easter Sunday, which is next Sunday. Uh, Come on out to our Good Friday service on Friday uh, afternoon, 4 to to 5 p.m., and also at our lunch after our service on Sunday, we have a, an Easter egg hunt planned uh, for the kids during the lunch. Uh, there's going to be turkey and ham. And an Easter egg hunt, uh, someone joked, is it only for the kids? Um, well, if you're an adult, you want to join, uh, sh- go ahead <laughs> if you want, but it'll be a bunch of kids uh, doing the Easter egg hunt. So come on out to that. It'll be a great time of celebration. But today, it's, it's, it's uh, Palm Sunday, and we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, how he was greeted by crowds of people waving palm branches. And palm branches, by the way, were a sign of victory and triumph and peace, which is why they were waving it, because uh, they believed that Jesus was a king, uh, is a king, and we'll get into that a little bit later. And they're shouting, Hosanna, which means save us now. Save now, shouting Hosanna as Jesus walked in, uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and then they yelled out, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And in history, and even in our modern day, uh, maybe we can think of some triumphal entries. You think of maybe a victorious army uh, marching back into the city in a parade, maybe a sports team winning a championship and returning back to their hometown or their country, greeted uh, with cheers of victory. Think about a a political figure uh, making a grand entrance into a room like uh, U.S. President Joe Biden, who just came a couple weeks, last week, I can't remember, came into and gave a speech in the Canadian Parliament in the House of Commons, and people erupted in, in cheers. 
uh, or a bride and groom entering into the reception banquet hall, or a king and queen uh, and, uh, being, entering in, into their kingdom on a royal procession. As we think about in May, the coronation of Charles uh, III, that's going to be happening the first weekend. So as we think about uh, life and royal processions, uh, uh, processions and how people march in and celebrations that we have, there's an image that we have. And today, the image that we, we as, as we prime ourselves with that, the image that we have is Jesus as well, coming into the city, coming into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. See, there's entrances like this and celebrations that we see all across the world, and then there's entrance of, of Jesus. And this is a painting by Anthony Van Dyke in 1617, a painting of Jesus riding on a donkey, uh, going into Jerusalem, and I've been meeting with my spiritual director quite a bit, uh, quite often these last couple months, and he's been doing something called Visio Divina with me, which is reflecting through scripture by looking at pictures and just sitting there and reflecting and, and praying and seeing how God will speak to you. We can probably spend some extended time looking at this, this painting and see the kind of emotions that this draws out in, within you and the different things that uh, God would have you pay attention to. But what is the event uh, supposed to mean for us today as Jesus goes into Jerusalem? What can we learn from the crowds who welcomed Jesus into the city? Now, here's the big idea I have for us this morning, and it's this, to follow Jesus for who he is, not what he can do for you. For us to follow Jesus for who he is, not what he can do for you. I believe that's the message he has for us on this Palm Sunday. Now, what expectations do you have for Jesus? Or what expectations did you have of Jesus when you first started following him, if you call yourself a believer today? And these are important questions. This is important because what we think of Jesus impacts how we go through the low times in life and when life isn't going the way that we thought it was going to go. And what we understand about Jesus helps us as well, not only through the low times, but also experience the joyful times even more joyfully as we understand the gifts that God brings and who this Jesus is. You see, Jesus, he, he never promised that life is going to be easy. He never promised that there won't be pain and suffering from the faith that you have. But Jesus did say, for example, in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but what? Take heart, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And my hope for us as we go into this Palm Sunday and into Holy Week and Easter weekend is to declutter our souls a little bit. There was a pile of garbage right outside our house uh, on the corner, and confession, I probably should have helped clean it, but I didn't. I just watched, watched it kind of fester. It started off with a box in the corner, uh, it was one of those Costco boxes, you know, when someone grabs a, one of those boxes and packs their groceries and, 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 and goes back home. Well, it, was, it started off with just a simple box right on the corner of the street. And then with each day and each week, there's another piece of garbage that was added onto it somehow. Started off with a McDonald's cup, and then it was another coffee cup, and then it was a bag, and then someone started throwing their, like, uh, trash uh, into this box. And the next thing, there was, like, a, a, a small little um, statue of something inside of it. It just started growing, growing, growing more and more and more uh, there. And I, I feel like Easter for us, and maybe even today on, on Palm Sunday, is an opportunity for us to declutter 
And one day I went home, and the city of Vancouver, I think, uh, or maybe uh, the neighbor that was a better neighbor than I was, I cleaned up that corner, and it was cleaned up. And my hope for us is that our souls will be decluttered of sorts, that there's a lot of things over the year, uh, over the years that have also got into our lives, some things that are of Jesus and some things that we're trying to wrestle through and, and understand whether it's of Jesus or not. But as we go into Holy Week, my prayer is that it's a, a cleansing of sorts. It's a decluttering of our souls. My hope is that as we revisit the passage today, Jesus going into Jerusalem and how people make a way that this Easter, we would have this spiritual reset as well, that we will make a way for Jesus to come into our lives, for him to speak afresh into our souls. And we read right at the beginning of verse 12 in this passage today that the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, the name of the city, is, uh, it can be translated as city of peace, uh, by the way. So here Jesus comes in to Jerusalem, the city of peace, and people waving palm branches, a sign of peace, sign of victory. But what happened just before this, the next day of, of what? Well, just before this, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. That's John chapter uh, 11. Uh, if you have an opportunity to read through that, the chief priests and all the religious people saw what had happened, and they wanted to get rid of Jesus for this miracle that he had performed because he didn't fit into the Messiah that they were anticipating. So they wanted to get rid of him. And in fact, they were threatened by this Jesus because of the power that he had. And I love this. If you, if you uh, turn to the end of uh, verse uh, chapter 11, we'll, we'll read here that the chief priests they made plans to not only kill Jesus, but also to kill Lazarus uh, again. So I find that fascinating that Lazarus already died, and then Jesus came and resurrected him. So here, in, in their denial of Jesus, in their claim of wanting to kill Lazarus again, they actually proclaim Jesus' divinity uh, in a strange way. That they're like, hey, this Jesus came and raised this Lazarus from the dead. Well, we're going to kill him too. Uh, the, the miracle that he performed, and we're going get to get rid of him. So it was after uh, this day. Man, poor guy, Lazarus. He just can't get a break. Um, he's like, I just raised, <laughs> rose up from the dead. I came out of the tomb. Now he's trying to get rid of me uh, I, again. But we read here the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It took place uh, over a whole week leading up to the Jewish uh, pa- a festival of, of Passover. And the triumphal entry, it, it marked the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. As he comes into Jerusalem, is the beginning of the end of his earthly ministry, and he's about to set into motion uh, the events that would ultimately lead to his crucifixion and his, his death, and also his resurrection, conquering death forever. And if you track with me here as we recount the steps, uh, the days through Holy Week, day one is today at the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, and then on day two, um, there's some debate here. But many scholars fall on this. The Monday, Jesus clears the temple of the money changers. On day three, Tuesday, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, gives the Olivet Discourse, which is the prophecy of the second coming and the end times and destruction of, of Jerusalem. And this is also the day that, that a Judas, he negotiated with the Sanhedrin of, of how he's going to hand Jesus over. Uh, day four, we're not sure what happens, so we just call it Holy Wednesday. <laughs> day five, uh, Thursday, is the Passover and the Last Supper. Day five is Good Friday, the trial, the crucifixion, the death and the burial of Jesus. 
And Saturday is another holy day, Holy Saturday, where Jesus is in the tomb. And day eight, Resurrection Sunday. So this is what the Holy Week is about. When we talk about traditionally the Holy Week of the church, for for millennia, this is what uh, we are talking about. So this was a time of great religious significance for the Jewish people. Uh, it was a significant because of the Passover festival, which, remember, uh, which uh, helped them to remember and reminded them and commer- commemorated the Israelites' deliverance uh, from, uh, cap- from captivity, from slavery in Egypt. And also reminded the people that no matter what they went through, that God sees, that God hears, and that God is concerned with their pain and with their suffering. So the city was full of people in anticipation. They traveled from all over the place. It was charged with excitement and anticipation. And then here comes Jesus riding on a donkey into the city. We see here point number one today that Jesus, as he comes into the city, he's fulfilling prophecies. And when Jesus fulfills prophecies, it reveals who he is. Jesus fulfilling prophecies reveal who Jesus is. See, the Gospel of John, uh, if you haven't heard this before, the Gospel of John is all about showing who Jesus is, is showing uh, how Jesus, he's the long-awaited, promised Messiah, Son of God. So I recommend to people, you're like, hey, what's the first book of the Gospel? Which, 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 which is the first Gospel I should read? John. Read John, because you, you, you find out who Jesus is. If you want to grow your relationship with Jesus, which Gospel should I read? John, <laughs> because it talks about this, this Jesus. So verse 12 uh, to 13 continues on in this way. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So we see here that Jesus, he entered the city in a deliberate and symbolic way. He could have walked, he could have ran, he could have had some other chariot come in, uh, bring him in, but he chose to come in in this uh, very deliberate and symbolic way. Yes, it displays his humility, but I want to argue here this morning that this passage isn't really so much about his humility so much as it is about him coming in declaring that he is the Messiah, that this is actually not a sign of humility, though he is humble, but it's actually a sign of, of, of boldness, a sign of victory, a sign of conquering, a sign that he's declaring himself to be the prophesied Messiah that people have been talking about for centuries. You see, Jesus' actions connects the Old Testament to the New. Therefore, uh, for, for there are numerous uh, prophecies, over 300, in fact, I'm not sure if you know that, over 300 prophecies that foretell the coming of the Messiah. And some of these prophecies were fulfilled simply by Jesus being born. Things that he had no control over, like being born of a virgin and being born in Bethlehem. Some of these prophecies, you couldn't have known about them ahead of time. and be like, okay, I'm going to be born in Bethlehem. That's okay. Check that off. But he fulfilled these prophecies one after another, over 300 of them. It's also clear from these prophecies that the Messiah will come as a king, but not only as a king, but as a servant king. One that's going to come and to serve his people and to love his people in grace and in mercy. So since Jesus, he fulfilled prophecies, it demonstrates for us here today 
that he was not just an ordinary human being, but in fact, the long-awaited Messiah, the one that we've all been longing for. It shows us that Jesus wasn't just another religious person, but he actually claimed to be the son of God. And we need to wrap our heads around this a little bit, that if he fulfilled one or two or three uh, prophecies, okay, maybe it's by chance, but when there's over 300 of them, it tells us something about this Jesus. And as New Testament scholar, theologian, a seminary professor, Wayne Grudem writes in his systematic theology, he says this, the fulfillment of prophecy in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the greatest confirmations of the truth of Christianity. That when we simply look at the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and we don't have time here to go over all 300 of them, plus of them, it points to Jesus really is who he says he is. That he is the Messiah. He's the one that's come to conquer. But I believe there's even more for us this morning as we dig into the text. The key in today's passage lies in understanding Zechariah 9.9. So let's look at that passage a little bit more. And I'm going to read from the ESV here because I believe the translation is a little bit better. Uh, in, in the passage here in, in John, it quotes back to Zechariah 9.9, and it, it reads like this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, see, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. If you have your Bibles, circle that. That's key. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Did you catch that? Behold, church, behold, the king is coming to you, righteous, perfect, holy, but secondly, and more importantly even, having salvation is he. That he's come riding into the city, not only in humility, yes, that's it, but if we saw that Jesus is humble riding on donkey on triumphal entry on the Sunday, we would have missed the point. The point is Jesus is coming in power, and, and even more, yeah, he's coming bringing salvation with him. That salvation has come into the city. That as Jesus arrives into Jerusalem, the city of peace, salvation has literally arrived in the city on that day. And as Jesus arrives, which his name, by the way, means, uh, means Yahweh saves, that as he's coming into the city, as Jesus comes into the city, the way in which Yahweh is going to save has literally come into the city. That he is the one, Yahweh. He's the way that Yahweh is going to save. That Jesus is coming in, riding on his donkey, not in humility, but in power and conquering death and showing that he is the Messiah, the one that we've all been looking for. And when people, and when God's people hear that, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's coming in as king, on that day, they couldn't help in that moment, even though they didn't exactly fully understand what was going on, they couldn't, they couldn't help but shout, Hosanna. They couldn't help but shout, Hosanna, save us because salvation has come. They didn't understand that. And I think that ought to be, that ought to resonate or hit home for us here today that as God's people hear that, that Jesus is coming, that he's bringing salvation, that he is the Messiah, the response in us today ought to be Hosanna as well. Save us. Save us because we need saving. We need salvation. We need this life. You see, because of something called sin, there's a chasm between God and us chasm that we can't cross ourselves. And as Jesus entered into Jerusalem 
under obedience to the Father's will. He did so so that he would die on the cross to remove the sin from humanity, to ultimately be that bridge for us so that we can have this eternal relationship with God. That we try to seek fulfillment and joy in other ways, but ultimately all things of life have fallen short. And Jesus is saying, hey, let me, let, me, let me build that bridge for you. Let me be the bridge for you. And, that's only, and here's the thing. For those that shout Hosanna, save us, it's only those that believe that they actually need saving. That's only for those who believe they need saving. For only those who believe and recognize that they need to be saved will be saved. That's, I believe, a truth. That if we declare ourselves needing salvation and we desire salvation and we want salvation and Jesus is saying he is the salvation and we say yes to him, then, then it's ours. Then we have this relationship with him. Another thing we notice here is that just because Jesus fulfills, prof- because Jesus fulfills prophecies, and this is closely tied to number one, as Christians, because it fulfills prophecies, we can have confidence in the truth and reliability of Scripture. That he is who he says he is, and everything that we read here is true and speaks God's truth. The fact that so many prophecies were fulfilled shows us that he is who he is, but God's plan is true, and that his word is consistent, and that he is trustworthy. Here's a really quick survey of the seven I am statements of, of Jesus. And we read this of, as Jesus declares to the world, this is who he is. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep, meaning the doorway in which people can, can enter into, into a relationship with God. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd, meaning I want to have good things for you. I lead you to still water, uh, quiet waters and, and to green pastures. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm the true vine, meaning that if you connect with me, I only have good things to give to you. I'm not sure if you've read this uh, list of seven I am statements for uh, this might be your first time or this might be many times before, but this morning I want to ask you, which one catches your attention this weekend? Which one especially catches your attention this morning? Which one do you feel like your soul needs of God right now? Because God is all these things and more. God is able to satisfy. God is able to provide for you. Ultimately, all this is to say in this first point here that God, Jesus, he reveals who he is and that God, he keeps his promises, that he is trustworthy, that we can say amen. That is trustworthy and true. We can shout Hosanna, save us, because he can and he will save us. Because anyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we can have peace in the past, present, and future because of who Jesus is. Not, the situ- not what the situation says, not what the, the diagnosis says, not what people say, not what that report says. We don't need to succumb to the situation, uh, to the narrative that we're painted of in this world, that we're given in this world. In fact, we can have tranquility in the chaos because of Jesus' divinity. That he is who he says he is, and he's proven himself to be true, and we can find faith and trust in that. I don't, I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. But some of you are feeling like life is chaotic and life is out of control, and you feel like maybe God has left you, but no, that's not true at all. That we can find this peace in the chaos because in Jesus and who he is. God keeps his promises not only because he is God, 
and he is everything that is good and true, but he keeps his promises because of his deep love for you. His deep love for us, he keeps, he doesn't keep his promises only because he has to, but because he wants to. He wants this relationship with you. So even though life is tough, and even though life has questions, even if our lives are characterized by pain and suffering and brokenness, as Jesus keeps his promises, we see his compassion. We see his humility as he comes in, wanting to have relationship with us. We see God's plan of redemption, grace, and salvation through the simple arrival of Jesus, that salvation has come and that everything is going to be okay. That salvation is here. So, though the crowds did not quite understand it, what's going on, they still shouted, Hosanna, save us, because they knew they needed to be saved. Please save us. Blessed is the king of Israel, because surely Jesus is a king. And the promises of life, hope, peace, hope, and joy, the promise of eternal life with them are true. It's all true, because God, he keeps his end of the bargain, and we can have faith in that this morning. But... The question is, do we recognize who this Jesus is? Do we hear his voice? Do you hear the heart of the Father who loves you so much? Because the crowds, they didn't really understand what was going on. And this misunderstanding led to their confusion and disappointment because Jesus, his kingdom, is not of this world. And so it should not be with us, for us. Jesus' kingdom ultimately wasn't about establishing a kingdom on this world. And for us as his followers, this ought to be the same truth for us too. Our kingdom is not of this world either. In verse 16, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified that they realized that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. You see, the, the crowds welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem expecting a political and military leader. They're expecting something different. It's strange that he's riding on a donkey. We expected a militant leader. He's riding on a donkey. That's kind of weird. <laughs> it's a little bit different. But okay, but he's still king. He's going to come and overthrow. We just saw him resurrect Lazarus from the dead and all these other miracles. He's going to do great things for us. See, they've seen how they've, he's performed all these miracles. But what they didn't understand is how Jesus didn't come to conquer by force, but by grace, love, and sacrifice. Even though the disciples, even the disciples, they didn't understand what was going on. And they were with him for, for three years. The text here says they realized that these things had, had been written about him afterwards, right? Like after the fact. And what did they realize? Yes, Jesus was humble, but that wasn't the main message here again. The point is they realized that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus himself is the way to salvation. Jesus himself is salvation, that Jesus comes to give salvation. And this was the realization of the disciples in the early church that followed him. And Jesus didn't come to do what they thought would be good. Jesus didn't come to do what they thought would be good or even better. Jesus came to do what is best. And we can trust that he knows what is best. In Matthew 7, 9, uh, Jesus, there it is. Uh, Jesus didn't come to do what they thought would be good or even better. Jesus came to do 
what is best. But in Matthew 7, 9 to 11, we read this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, it may not be what the people of Jerusalem thought they wanted and what he was going to do, but Jesus knew what was best. In the same way, when he comes into our lives and when we experience the presence of Christ, it may not be what we thought was good or even better, but we can trust that Jesus knows what's best for us. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that he's saying to you. And Jesus' way of entering into the city challenges, really, and reminds us of how the kingdom of God actually operates. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's not in the way that we thought things would go. It challenges us, in which we think about power and authority and the nature of the kingdom of God in general. See, throughout history, we've, we've read and we've witnessed, and even in recent history, we see people seeking power and wealth and influence as a way of establishing their own kingdoms. In, a, in our world that we live in, power is gained through force. Leaders are often, they use their position to oppress and to exploit. And we're tempted to think that more is better. The more we have, the better it is. So we get caught up in the wheel of striving because it's never enough, ultimately. But in contrast, the kingdom of God is characterized by love and justice and mercy. It flips the things of this world upside down. It things that, in times where, as a church, we wouldn't find joy, uh, when, the, when the world is going down, we still find this deep joy, not in the circumstance, but in the, in, the, in the truth of who Jesus is. We hold on to him. And more personally, you know, Jesus' statement challenges us to rethink my own priorities as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, as he comes into our lives again. It challenges us to rethink our own priorities, and our own values. Because the kingdom of God, we often think, is established in the future, right? It's in heaven. That's the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is not only a future hope, but it's a present reality right now, right here. We can experience him today. It is both here and not yet. <laughs> that's the tension we live in as Christians. And there's to be this tension every single day, every single day, just as we're grounded in Christ, it's just like how a ship, it drops an anchor into the ocean or into the lake. I'm not sure if you've ever been onto a boat uh, where it actually drops an anchor, right? You feel, feel it drifting around, but once in a while, you feel a little tug, right? You know, you're, you're kind of talking to your friends, all of a sudden the boat's like, Oop. you know, oh. In that little moment, this reminds you, yeah, I'm grounded, that there's an anchor there that I was drifting away. I didn't realize I was drifting. But in that little moment, that little tug reminds us that I'm grounded, that I'm secure. So it is for us in our Christian faith. Those little tugs, the Spirit speaks to us, those tugs in us, like, Doug, don't say that. Doug, don't think that. Doug, you should be doing this. Go talk to that person. Have this conversation. Those little tugs are realignments that God does in every single day. And as Christians, we ought to feel that tug is actually a sign that God is working. And we should actually, when we don't feel that tug, that's when we should realize we're in trouble. Because maybe the anchor is broken and we're drifting. So to understand that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, there's few practical implications here. Maybe we need to prioritize spiritual values over material ones. 
Maybe we need to seek to serve others rather than to be served. We need to, we need to practice humility. We need to stand up for justice. We need to love our enemies. We need to, about this one, we need to forgive those that hurt us and those that we've hurt as well. Seek for forgiveness. That as we go into Holy Week, these are the things that Jesus confronts us with again as his, his kingdom clashes with the kingdoms of the world. And lastly, we come to learn, just like in the first century, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, that we too today can welcome Jesus into our lives. Verse 19, this little short verse that says so much, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. See, this is getting us nowhere. This parade, like, you know, should have listened to my plan. I should, you know, we should have got him <laughs> and trapped him right outside the house. But look, this is not helping us. And look how the whole world has gone after him. This is not only an exaggeration, uh, because at that time, not the whole world was going after him. It's not only an exaggeration, but it's also a prophecy, because again, one day the whole world will go after him. So I found so much, uh, so profound in this short uh, statement by the prophecies. Uh, even in those that don't follow Jesus, uh, God is able to use their words and to speak to us and to show us how he operates. But when Jesus, he entered into the city, they laid down their cloaks and waved their palm branches as a sign of their respect and honor for him as their king. And again, the palm branches, it, it symbolizes victory, peace, and salvation. And the simple question I want to end with this morning is, as the whole world has gone after him, the question is for us personally this morning is, have you, have you gone after him? Have you been raising your palm branches or have you been laying down your cloaks, the cloaks of your own agenda, your own desire, the cloak of laying down your will and submitting to Christ? Instead of lifting and waving palm branches, maybe we need to raise our hands every day, maybe physically as a sign of worship, but, but spiritually and symbolically as well, every single day as a sign of surrendering to Jesus. That my life is yours, Lord. As I walk into, as I walk into my workplace, I have my hands up and surrender to the Lord. Like, hey, the workplace is yours, God. As I walk into my family dinner, the, this is yours, God. As I walk out and enjoy creation, this is all yours, God, as a sign of surrender. Such a small action can change so much in us. But maybe today you're afraid of what's going to happen if you lay down your life and you lay down your cloak and then surrender. But the invitation is this, that it's true that Jesus thus come ride lowly and humbly on a donkey as well. That here, that we're challenged today to hear the Father's voice saying how much he loves you. No matter how far you've fallen, fallen no matter the sin that you're a part of right now, no matter the struggle and the pain that you have, hear the, my prayer is that as we go into this Holy Week and this morning, that you would hear the Father's voice saying that you're so loved. His voice saying that he is Messiah and that he's come to save you so you can stop striving. Stop striving. Stop, stop, trying, to, stop, stop trying to earn the worth in this world, but come towards me and experience a real peace and a real joy. Hear the voice of God saying you're so loved and that he's so proud of you. That is not in your degrees, not in your earnings, not in your job status, in your promotions, 
but he loves you for who you are simply because he has created you. He's knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. Hear the Father's voice this morning. And as you hear his voice, may you welcome him in to your life, just as the people in Jerusalem did not many years ago. But I want to warn you that when you invite Jesus into your life fully and truly, you might experience joy that you've never experienced in your life. You might lose the life and the dreams that you thought were best for you and is replaced by what's actually best for you in Jesus. Inviting Jesus into your life might just change everything. 